Take a network break. Help yourself to our virtual donut and join us for our weekly perusal of tech news. Our top story today, of course, is the HPE Juniper acquisition. We're also going to talk about some space networking and an amusing crypto fail. We're sponsored today by Palo Alto Networks. You can see how ZTNA 2.0, Cloud Secure Web Gateway, and SD-WAN deliver exceptional security and ROI. Palo Alto Networks has per- produced a virtual event where you can hear how the latest innovations in SASE can help your organization automate costly and complex IT operations with AI-powered digital experience management and connecting secure branch offices and the hybrid workforce with SD-WAN, ZTNA 2.0, and Cloud Secure Web Gateway. Go to paloaltonetworks.com slash engage slash sassy dash signature dash moment or see the show notes for episode 462 to get that link. Uh, just a reminder, we don't have a Tech bite today, but just a reminder, we do have a Slack channel. If you'd like to join the conversation, it's free to sign up at packetpushers.net slash community. Uh, and Greg, before we dive into HP Juniper, uh, we promise not to go as long as we did last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should apologize for that. It's... um. But there was just a lot to talk about last week. Um, I don't think we got any negative feedback. Did anybody rank, sort of contact us and say you went too long or you were full of full of hot air or something? But if we are going too long, we do really try to aim to get the network break down to 30 minutes. But I think we'll go long again today, but not 60 minutes long. How's that? So you can get on with life sort of thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so let's dive into the big story. HPE is acquiring Juniper Networks. It's an all-cash deal for $14 billion. HPE says the acquisition will increase the revenues from HPE's networking business from 18 to 31% and contribute more than 50% of HPE's operating income. Uh, HPE is planning to pay $40 a share uh, to pick up Juniper, which is a 32% premium over Juniper share price before the acquisition news began to leak. Uh, Lots to talk about here because there is a lot going on. Well, I think, first of all, this is probably the most significant infrastructure acquisition we've seen in a few years. Obviously, Broadcom buying VMware is a big deal, but that's just because it's a large transaction. It didn't actually change VMware. Right. If you make, like, it wasn't VMware buying Nutanix to take out a competitor or, you know, VMware buying Red Hat, the sort of thing. That's what this is sort of on that scale as. Um, So I I did want to focus on it, but for networking professionals or infrastructure professionals, I think this is a significant deal um, so before I start, let me just throw out some negatives just to make you so you understand. Um, it is worth noting, as the criticism I've seen from various technology analysts, is that 50% of large acquisitions fail. This is a large acquisition, $14 billion spent by HPE to straight up cash offer. Um, there's no question that customers will be disrupted, and there's no question that customers won't like it, especially engineers who've spent a lot of time working on either Aruba or Juniper and feel like this is going to disrupt their career plans or efforts they made or whatever um, is is not going to be thing. A lot It'll of interfere can, with their favorite platforms one way or the other, yeah. Yeah, well, engineers do end up putting a lot of effort into aligning with a specific vendor to sure. speak its language and yep. understand its technology, and so... Um, you sort of got to move through that, and I would encourage you to sort of keep an open mind. Um, but I think the overall, if you want to have a very quick takeaway, HP and Juniper weren't successful alone. Juniper's growth has been slow, even though they've got great technology. They're one of the first infrastructure companies to get into AI and successfully put AI in the form of mist, or as they call it, mystifying everything, <laughs> which is a nice marketing thing. Yes. Um, HPE was sort of stuck. I think we've said a few times over the last two years that HP is sort of a bit directionless, if that makes sense. Um, it's doing very well. It's got its subscription revenue coming along, but that's a slow and steady thing. And I think at the end of the day, what we're seeing is that uh, HP knew that it needed to make a significant acquisition to make a difference. And I think that this is significant from that point of view. Uh, keep in mind that Juniper is infrastructure AI, and it certainly has a networking. It's attached to service providers. HP has a bunch of enterprise customers. 
doesn't have telcos or it's been struggling in the telco market. It's tried very hard to do private 5G. It's tried to get into telcos with various parts of the Aruba portfolio without much luck. It's um, done a whole bunch of things. So I think it's actually quite a good match and it'll be interesting to see how it works out. I'm not saying it's a guarantee to work out, but I do believe that the GreenLake subscription business is the core focus here. Uh, I believe that the whole idea that modern on-prem cloud stacks are really complicated. And I also think what we're seeing is off-prem cloud is also being seen as just hideously complex. Customers don't want to spend money on headcount to perform the integration. If you move to the cloud, you've got to go and DevOps everything, right? And that mm -hmm. means tripling or quadrupling your IT headcount to be able to run cloud successfully, right? And you don't know what your costs are. I think there's definitely an, an emerging movement of people saying, I want on-prem because I need to know what my costs are. I can't have this uncontrolled consumption-based licensing. I can't negotiate with AWS. I can't manage my costs unless I hire, you know, multiple headcount just to do cost tracking every day of the week, you know, constantly looking for savings and where money is being wasted. Sounds like a good idea until you're actually doing it and realize that you're spending a significant part of your budget just monitoring the cloud. So you're saying uh, HPE also, brings that hyper-converged infrastructure that you can deploy on-prem, consume it like cloud, and also in some ways with GreenLake, pay for it. You're not, you're not paying up front. It's yeah. more of a subscription model, which lets you manage your costs a little bit better based on actual consumption because you can sort of buy the the full capability of that server but not pay for, mm -hmm. you know, if you're only using half the cores, you're only paying for half the cores essentially. Yeah, that's right. And HP gives you that blend between, you know, AWS is, can charge you whatever it likes, you know, for anything. Yes. And they can, <laughs> you know, jack up the price by 50% and guess what? You're stuck. Whereas if you're running more towards the, the you know, the on-prem stuff, there's a there's a blend here where you can start to say, yeah, well, maybe I want subscription, but maybe I want to turn it into something permanent. Maybe I have a mix of subscription and capital spending. There's a whole bunch of stuff that could go here. Um and I think that there's an emerging, now. I'm not saying that this is here, but in the discussions I'm seeing and the people I'm talking to, there's definitely within the enterprise, you know, or within large companies, they're saying, yeah, it would be great to move to the cloud. But the challenge is I have to do everything myself. I have to take a bit of this and a bit of this, and then I have to weld it together. I have to build all the, but if I go and buy a GreenLake subscription, all of my infrastructure is built for me. I just have to, you know, a lot, HPE is taking on a lot of that complexity. Right. And the challenge here has been is that um, HP doesn't have a good networking story. So if you want to do multi-cloud networking, if you want to do data center networking, it's been trying to you know either partner with Arista for a while, then it acquired Aruba, then it tried to run Aruba for a while. It bought Plexi for data center networking and kind of didn't make the best of that. That was back in the days of Meg Whitman and Leo Apotheca, who were both pretty hopeless at the whole running a technology company thing. <laughs> so, so don't. Uh, you know, and then let's take this point. Let's remember that HPE is very different now to where it was five or 10 years ago when it made dozens of acquisitions. Remember that time when it was sort of like every day we'd turn around and HPE had bought another company in storage or whatever, or yes. uh, in data. Uh, that was all under Meg Whitman and Leo Apotheca. I think that's a different era. I don't see any signs that uh, Antonio Neri has actually in that kind of capability. But I think the subscription business me for customers is about we don't want to be integrating HP servers with Cisco routers and Arista switches and checkpoint firewalls and Palo firewalls 
and EMC storage and this backup solution. I think they're very much wanting to say, I need all of that complexity to converge somehow. And I think that that say, that deal will be very attractive to, and that's where the growth comes from. Does that make sense? It does. And I think there's definitely something to that. You and I both attended uh, an online press event with Antonio Neri, the HPE CEO, and Rami Rahim, the Juniper CEO. And Antonio Neri said repeatedly, networking is now core to HPE. He sees it as a uh, fundamental for them to deliver on their edge to cloud positioning, to deliver on this integrated bundle that company that customers just consume. Um, so they, they Juniper and its components will be, I think, in the long run, part of an integrated fabric that is uh, offered to customers on a consumption-based model, as opposed to it's up to you yeah. to bolt everything together. That's definitely HP's strategy here. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's perfectly viable. I think the days of self-integration—you buy one from here, one from here—you try and stitch it all together—is is moving away from us. That's what off-prem cloud. That was the promise of off-prem cloud was that it would all be done for you, and it turned out that it was actually worse because you have to work out how to use the AWS API, and you have to spawn an instance, and then you have to monitor it, and then you have to put in a cost management solution. You didn't make it much, it, you got more flexibility, but you didn't actually get any cost control. You didn't improve operations. You ended up with more headcount, not less, so on and so forth. So I think that's, and and I think the weakness in HP's GreenLake's model is that they didn't have the networking. They didn't have the WAN, didn't have the, you know, Aruba's been slow to get to SD-WAN. It's done a great job of getting it out there, you know, the whole thing. But I think it's much been a little bit slower to reach into SD-WAN and then add SASE than perhaps some of its competitors. Uh, of course, it's got, you know, market-leading wireless and, and branch and campus type of capabilities, but I, I think they're a little bit slow off the mark with what was rather obvious around SASE, even though they've got Silverpeak. But I don't think they did a good job of of um, running with Silverpeak when they got it. I didn't see Aruba suddenly get good at uh, SD-WAN, even though they had the best SD-WAN around at the time when they acquired it. Um, so you and I uh, have come to this uh, acquisition that the sort of driving force behind this acquisition from different perspectives. Uh, I'm thinking it was driven by AI, but you are taking the perspective. You think there's more uh, of a role for service provider and telcos in HP's thinking here? Yeah, I do. I really think that, well, obviously it's an AI deal. Obviously the the MIST thing, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> MIST is going to be, and I think you're going to see a lot of public discussion around AI. It's about buying Juniper for its AI. But I think that's the way to pitch it to shareholders in, in generally, because everybody understands that you've got to have AI. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, the MIST AI campus and wireless and branch solution has been amazing and is winning deals at a great rate. They're, mad. They're now running at a $1 billion run rate out of that business. They had 100% growth in MIST AI last year, right? That's amazing. And I've also, it's, I think it's perfectly reasonable to believe that MIST can grow to be running on top of Appstra running on top of service provider of Paragon, for example. Um, but more importantly, it can be added to GreenLake and maybe Esmeralda in the future if they can invest in this far enough to improve the operation so that HP gets to keep the cost down, right? Uh -huh. So if GreenLake's using Mist to keep the operational cost down, then they're better, their margin is better, but their product is also better than Completo, than, you know, think. So yeah. I'm really interested to see how that goes. So I think you'll see a lot of this pitched as an AI deal. And okay, yeah, it is an AI deal, but I don't think that's the that's the the only reason or even the main reason here. My general belief is that um, HP says as growth is not, it will come from the enterprise and there'll be some synergies there. Obviously, HP won't be putting its competitors like Cisco and Dell networking in to, to its customers. Do you know what I mean? Like they'll be able to go in and say, 
don't stop using that Cisco stuff. We'll replace that with um, Juniper stuff in stop letting you know their competitors into their accounts. There's a definite, that's an angle, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. What I think here is that there's a big growth here. Juniper's got massive credibility in the service provider and the mobile code market. And HP has been trying to get into that market for a while. I think this is the unspoken growth. If you can start to bundle in a 5G pop, you know, we've talked about 5G pops. We've talked about Juniper's RIC, you know, it's radio interface controllers and how it wants to have um, IP over WDM in the 5G pop. So instead of running, you know, dedicated circuits or, you know, fiber optic out there and connecting it, they want to run IP over WDM out to the to the 5G pop. But you also need a lot of servers. You need a hyper-converged stack. You've got virtual networking instances. All of the software, like you're talking hundreds of virtual machines running in a 5G pop to do all of the functions that to go around the radio controllers, the right. software radios, right. user control, accounting, security, blah, 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 blah. Well, Juniper's got the telco security. It's got the, the optical stuff. It's got the silicon photonics business. I think this is a growth market here. HP might actually be able to go out. So just to give you an example, Ericsson won a $15 billion 10-year deal with AT&T as the primary integrator. Ericsson is supplying its equipment, or at least some of it, but it's also selling Nokia's and HP's and Cisco's and Juniper's equipment all to AT&T. Mm -hmm. that's, that's the sort of business I think that, that HP wants, long-term, stable you know, business. And if like 1.5 billion a year. Writing a big check right up front, yes. <laughs> yeah. And all you've got to do is deliver it. Oh, that's great business, right? But right. for a company like HP, that's absolutely got to be growth, I think. There's also synergies here in that with the Open RAN movement, which is, you know, sort of uh, instead of you buying an integrated system from an expensive company like Nokia or Ericsson, you can use off-the-shelf components to put it together yourself. Juniper's been uh, putting a lot of effort into this, uh, and now with HPE on the compute and infrastructure side, they can, I think, maybe tell a little bit better story about delivering uh, Open RAN um, to provide telco and mobile services perhaps a little cheaper than you would get from an integrated company like Ericsson or Nokia. Yeah, I, I think so. I think the Open RAN is becoming um, important to the telcos. They want to have openness in the systems because they've realized that having all of these software instances means that integrating them all becomes very complex. Uh -huh. And you want to have some flexibility. You want to be able to say, I don't like your RIC. I don't like your IP over WDM. I want to be able to swap this in and out. And I think OpenRAN gives them that. I don't think OpenRAN, the movement becomes a thing like, you know, it doesn't become the Linux of telcos. It might, but I think that's a long way away and that's hard to pick. But it will may well... Um, define a bunch of open APIs and integrations between different uh, modules in the 5G networks of the future. And that's where I see OpenRAN producing something. Yeah, I think it's an interesting take to 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 pull out this uh, service provider telco driver. For me, that's, I think, more of a back burner issue. I don't know how much uh, energy HP is going to put into it, but it, it is yeah. an interesting take. I think they are more interested uh, upfront in being able to tell an AI story uh, having this AI capability, whether they can actually take the AI infrastructure and the AI knowledge that Juniper has developed and port it over to other domains yeah. like running their uh, server infrastructure, their virtual infrastructure, yeah. the way uh, Juniper is doing with uh, wireless and wired campus infrastructure. That's a big mm. lift. Uh, still a lot of question marks there. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you could you know, throw a billion dollars at MIST. Yes. You know, Juniper just didn't have the cash, right? Right. They could throw a couple of hundred million at it, hire people, you know, bring resources in. But HP is now in a position to say, there's so much more market for us to address here. Yes. Let's let's spend big. Yeah. And frankly, the other thing is they got it cheap. $14 billion is not a lot of money when we're talking about the potential upsides for mm -hmm. them in terms of 
you know, they've essentially just doubled, uh, you know, their networking revenue. It's a higher margin business for them. It helps, you know, soften any downturns they have in their server business, uh, 14 billion, even though they're having to take out loans for it. I think they picked up Juniper cheap. Uh, The financial analysts that I read, I read the reports from Jefferies Mm -hmm. on this. So I was looking at Jefferies. They said um, that Juniper was fairly valued at $32, you know, the the pre-bid price. It's risen up to $40. Um, as part of this deal, so 30% spike. That's a perfectly reasonable buyout price uh-huh. for this sort of acquisition. Um, the question has always been, can Juniper execute? And I think most shareholders and most fi- uh, financial analysts would say Juniper hasn't demonstrated that they can grow rapidly in their current form. Of right. course, that's part of the thing. You know, HP and Juniper, um, if they get together, in theory, they get some synergies. It's not much. What are they saying? $250 million a year in back-end costs? Will be eliminated. That's not a great deal. Right. Um, that's not really the thing. So they have to sell more product. You could argue that Juniper's never been very good at marketing or being able to sell. Whereas I think HP is much better at marketing and much better at selling. Certainly, it's got much more inc- incumbent stuff. Yeah, that was another see, yep. point that Antonio Neri raised in that event we attended, where he said we have a gigantic sales force. We have a huge footprint, including uh, in markets uh, in Europe and Asia where Juniper hasn't had a lot of success. Uh, we can turn that sales force over to selling Juniper gear and equipment. Uh, so again, that that upside yeah. of being able to essentially add to their bottom line almost out of the gate. Yeah, you can go into every one of your customers who's currently using Cisco or you know somebody else's networking technology um, and then say, now's the time to, to replace all of that. Just, I don't think Cisco would be too worried about that, but yeah. it's certainly a sales opportunity. It is. But I also is. see it. Networking is going to be a primary differentiator versus Dell and IBM in the enterprise space and also Cisco, right? Cisco hasn't been hugely successful with its UCS servers. It doesn't want to, you know, be where customers are with UCS. It wants a wants to sell a premium around its UCS product line. And it hasn't been winning customers at a fantastic rate. Now that it's got networking that's def- like best in class against Dell and IBM, they should be able to win more deals, especially around hyperconverged. Dell, of course, has its own networking products. And most of its networking gets sold in its hyperconverged bundles or its Apex bundles, but there's still a gap there where WAN and you know so forth they go and partner with you know Dell and IBM will go and partner with Cisco or Ericsson or Nokia to do that. Right. So it'll be interesting. Um, I should also note that Juniper has actually been successful in acquiring companies. Obviously, Mist was a great acquisition. One twenty eight T Abstra certainly worked out for them. Did it though? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's moved the needle as much as they hoped it would. Frankly, no. I I would give you that, but it didn't fail, right? It wasn't like Cisco's ACI when they sure it didn't Cisco fall. ACI its... that was going to change the world. And yes, kind of didn't. Well, yeah. that's because you know Cisco has a hype machine that Juniper doesn't. In some ways, I guess that that helped Juniper in that because they <laughs> weren't able to hype yeah. it, they didn't fall in their face. Uh, I think though, it Appster's presence in the fact that it it can operate on uh, pretty much any. Networking vendors hardware gives HPE an in that it didn't have in the data center now because they can roll up and say, oh, you're an Arista customer. We can run Appster on top of that. Uh, so mm-hmm. it is an opportunity that they didn't have before. Yes, but it hasn't failed. I think the product's matured and starting to get traction. They have achieved some sales. I'm pretty sure that HP knows they're missing some deals and this puts them in a place where they can take them, especially around the service providers where they know... When you get into service providers, they'll still have to share accounts with Sienna and Nokia for the DWDM. You might be buying some particular Ericsson hardware or radio tower gear. But I think HP can now start to say, well, we can take the master contract and sub that out, right? And Mm -hmm. I think that's something that HP hasn't been able to do in the telco market. They've always been saying, we've got servers, you should buy our servers for the telco market. Or, 
you know, you've got, we've got data management. You, you're, you're, you need data management, you know, storage arrays, you should buy ours. Right. But if you're suddenly got Juniper under the hood, you can say to them, well, we're a telco company now. We've got, we, we understand your business. It's much more credible than it was before. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, um, I think a big issue that uh, we need to talk about is the product overlap, because obviously uh, Aruba is HPE's, uh, you know, networking uh, giant and Mist is Juniper's networking giant. And so when you own a wireless company and you buy another wireless product, that's potentially problematic. And I'm yeah. really curious to see how they square this. Yeah. So they published as part of their investor report, they published a, a graphic uh -huh, and we'll make sure that goes into the show notes um, and a link to the actual investors. Cause there's a lot to be gained from that. Um, there's, a, you know, obviously there's things going on here. Um, it spells out four areas, edge networking, wide area networking, which is obviously also telco, um, wide area networking, uh -huh. cloud data center networking, and HPC AI interconnect. So <laughs> still pushing AI internet networking <laughs> is different. Keep in mind that um, HP is an AI company through its acquisition of Cray Supercomputing. Remember that? Uh, yes. And they have actually been doing a bunch in that space. We don't talk about it much here because it's kind of more in the high performance compute market mm -hmm. and it doesn't sort of overlap with enterprise infrastructure in any sort of a way, but they do have that as part of their existing portfolio. And of course, Juniper is part of the Ethernet Alliance. So you could claim that they're already AI Ethernet is ready. So they have something in that space that's reasonably credible. But um, I think there's a few things. If you're a customer and you're looking at it, I think, first of all, the deal won't close until late 2024, maybe 2025. Now, that the deal is expected to go through. There's no China. Uh, the, the operations in China are fairly limited, so they don't expect China to block it. And there's no um, competitive situation here. You can't really say that HPE and Juniper are competitors like Adobe and Figma are. Remember, <laughs> they, they were just, Adobe was literally buying its competitor. Right. There's there's not a lot of anti-competitive argument about this this purchase uh, as opposed to say Cisco wanting to buy Juniper for instance. Yeah, that would that probably wouldn't work at all. Um, so there's so that means that you've got about a year, plenty of time to listen to customers to do some analysis, work out where the money is. You know, what, once you know that the deal's looking very highly likely, you can start to put together a team of people to start to do the analysis, um, work out where the money is. Now keep in mind that for HPE, networking is an amazing business because networking has a 60% gross margin, whereas servers and storage is a very low margin business. We're talking down 30%, 20% gross margin, and that's because they don't add a lot of value, right? HPE basically rebadges Intel or AMD software. They don't make the uh, hardware. Right. They just buy a bunch of components and then assemble them. So there's not a lot of gross margin to be had here, and the expectation is that Juniper's products with a much higher gross margin can certainly lift the total margin up. That's a big part of the deal. And so they will sit down and say, listen to customers, work out the numbers on which customers want what, and then make a decision. So I think they will have plans already, so you can go and ask them and try and see if you can get a sense. But if I had to pick it, I'd say Aruba moves to a mid-market model focused on campus branch. So a bit like Meraki, does that make sense? Uh, I, I mean, I guess I could see them positioning that way. I don't see Aruba being operated like uh, Meraki. Meraki was all about it's easy. Aruba is not that at all. Yeah. Maybe Mist goes to a Meraki model, goes to the mid-market, <laughs> like externally managed? Maybe. I mean, I could see you making that argument because the whole point mm. of having this AI ops enabled capability is that it is easier to manage, but you also don't mm. want to get that 
you know, mid-market lower price tag. So that's what, that's what I mean mm. about there are tensions here. There are significant tensions that are not going to be easily resolved yeah. on how you position this for who. In the, the briefing, again, that we saw, you know, Antonio Neri and, and Rami Rahim said, you know, customers who are buying Aruba have different architectures than customers who are buying Mist. And I was like, I don't buy that at all. I think that these <laughs> things are just going to go head to head and they're going to have to yeah. referee this and figure it out. Yeah, they're going to have to pick one or the other. My guess is, and you don't want to throw a Ruber out. They're not going to. They're product. definitely not going to just pick one. Or they're they're not throwing anything out. It's about how these no. two uh, competitors are going to have to find ways to live together. Uh, yeah, and, yeah. But I could see that you could move a Ruber into the mid market and pitch it against Meraki. That's a really Cisco Cisco Meraki has been a hugely successful business for them. Mm -hmm. uh, they've managed to retain their presence in the mid market and the SME market, you know, via Meraki, where otherwise they would have been totally displaced. And I, I think Aruba would be best served moving down to that. Now, there is definite um, – Aruba is a superior Wi-Fi tool. Its wireless technology is far superior. But you could move that technology into Juniper's under Juniper's Mist for the enterprise category, and that would be fine because the value in Juniper's Wi-Fi portfolio is Mist, not the Wi-Fi, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And then, of course, yeah. and ClearPass and all that stuff, all those fantastic tools that – a risk, you know, that Ruby's been able to compete against Cisco with and be quite successful against. Um, so I think the enterprise, obviously, uh, where HP's had a fairly weak story in the H in the enterprise WAN, I think a Ruby's sassy SD WAN story, even though they're quite silver peak, was a little bit slow and running a bit behind its competitors. Whereas Juniper's now going to be able to say, well, we can sell you the big routers, we can sell you the firewalls and a security stack that's uh, right at the highest end because they sell their security portfolio to the telcos as well. And so I think we'll see a shift where Aruba, for the first time, says, I've actually got an enterprise class security portfolio, but that's Juniper product. So if you're going to go do Juniper, you need Juniper routers, Juniper SDUM, because I think all of that is very tightly integrated into the SASE model. And that makes sense. And that is one thing that we haven't touched on is this is the first time in 30 years that HPE has a firewall. And a security portfolio. Well, they had tipping point for a while, which was sort of a, I guess it was an IDS, but it was firewall-like. Yeah, it wasn't a firewall though. You couldn't put rules into it and say block traffic. Yeah, I guess it was more IPS, yeah. It was just IPS. You scan it. Yeah. And I remember having a massive argument with a senior exec at HPE at the time who contacted me to berate me for saying <laughs> that it's not a firewall. And I said, but do I have firewall rules in? And he went, well, no. And I said, well, it's not a firewall, right? I don't route <laughs> traffic through it, right? That's the definition of a firewall, right? And so I think that is a growth market for for HPE. Instead of having to partner with Checkpoint or Fortinet or Palo, they could say, we're going to take Juniper Cisco and position that in all of our customers. Again, coming into this GreenLake subscription service, they don't have to bring in a third party. That profit doesn't go outside of the company um, over time. It won't happen overnight. And I think customers will still be given the choice if you still want to build, you know, go with your Palo firewalls, then that's what you'll do. Right. Absolutely fine. But I think HP will be increasingly selling its own in-house product more and more and more. Um, and then I think also uh, Mist AI gets added to everything. Um, yeah. That's how I think the product stack will go. Like there's not a lot of overlaps, really. <laughs> Aside from the two wireless companies. I mean, there's also yeah. SD-WAN overlap because we, there's the 128 product that Juniper acquired, and then there's the Aruba, which was, uh, what was it? Who did they get? Silverpeak. Uh, Silverpeak, they, they bought Silverpeak. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, yeah. I, contrary to what you said, I think Aruba actually did do a good job bringing Silverpeak mm -hmm. in and, and, and pushing it out to the market, I think certainly much better than Juniper has done. If I were to make mm -hmm. one prediction that I feel confident about, it's that 
Um, <clears throat> Juniper's SD-WAN is, is probably going to quietly go away uh, over time uh, in favor of Silver Peak. You think so? Mm. I do, yeah. I think the 120, uh, maybe I think, I think they'll definitely keep the 128T for the telco market because it scales better. That could be. I um, guess they could carve it out. This is our telco one and this is our enterprise one. Yeah. And, but I think that's also confusing. Um, there are advantages because the 128T is, doesn't hold as much state and it doesn't do so much encapsulation. And right. so it scales a lot better. Uh, whereas, so there is an overlap. This is what I'm saying. One way to do this is to move these into two different markets. Mm -hmm. You move one down market or up market and, you know, say this is a mid-market solution, this is an enterprise, well, you know, all the flexibility, all the knobs, all the whatevers. Or maybe you do a different split and say, well, Aruba is what we do for the enterprise, but this is what we do for telcos. It could go a couple of different ways, perhaps. The other overlap is switching. Uh, Aruba has their campus switches. They've also got some data center offerings. Obviously, they're not on the same par with Juniper in the data center. Uh, but in the campus, I could also see significant tensions here between uh, selling Juniper and Aruba switches. So I would look at what Extreme Network's done here. Do you remember how Extreme Network's acquired a whole bunch of the, you know, back of the days when it was Cisco and the Seven Dwarfs right. in the switch Ethernet switching market? And uh, Extreme ended up buying, I think, four of them, you know, Brocade and uh, uh, Cabletron and, and all those different assets that it acquired. Yes. And what it did was over, what a, I want to say, a five-year period, it converged to portfolios. It ended it particular lines of hardware that just didn't, that were already dead ends sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um and then it put a management platform over the top so that you didn't really notice the difference in the hardware. And then as customers sort of reached the end of the life cycle of those products, they made what seems to be reasonably good decisions about which ones to end of life and which ones to to keep. Certainly customers haven't abandoned. Um, <laughs> there was a VIA. Okay. They, they also mm -hmm. got a VIA. And I think what they do yeah. is they, they have one physical design, but you can choose... Uh, do you want the Extreme NOS or the Avaya NOS? And they call it a profile. Um, so maybe the Juniper and HP could go this route where it's one box, but yeah. you get to pick the, the NOS. I don't know. Uh, yeah, Again, that's yeah. a place where I'm not clear on how this shakes out. Well, we know it's possible because Cisco does that. It has multiple NOSs at different part, at different markets. That's the other thing. So, they could just decide to run with a variety of NOSs because, yeah, Cisco does it, um, Extreme does it, uh, uh, at, at some point, Arista maybe will have to do it if they keep acquiring other companies. So yeah, it's it's definitely not mm. uh, unheard of to have just be like, yeah, we're just running multiple NASAs and the customer can make their choice. Yeah, I think that's probably one way to go. At the end, you know, when you think about it, obviously Junos runs on the devices, especially with the the custom silicon. Um, I think we'll talk more about custom silicon a bit later on. I think there's reasons to be concerned there. Um, but I do agree with you that most of the campus switching and the data center switching runs on Broadcom, you know, Broadcom or Marvel Silicon. Uh -huh. So, you know, and and by and large, uh, you know, running both operating systems on today's Silicon and motherboard, you know, the the operating that most of them are x86. You know, it's all pretty normalized these days. And wouldn't be too hard to run both, as long as it's profitable to run both. Right. And you would have to have to ask yourself. Is it really profitable to do that over an extended period? And I'm not clear that that would be. I think at some point you end up with a convergence, um, you know. And you have to support two, you know, operating systems. So you have to have engineers who know how to run Junos and then operators that have to know how to run, you know, Aruba CX or CXOS or 
uh, you know, across that portfolio, do you really want to have two support organizations and two tax and two sets of developers? Does that make sense in the long term? Right. And I'm that's not... also the question that comes back around again to wireless as well, because they are going to have to run with that for a while before they can, if they want to try to integrate these two prop platforms. Yeah. And of course they will. That was the lesson, you know, we learned from watching extreme is that they will run them. I don't think anybody who's running Aruba or Juniper today should worry. And there will be plenty of time, years, I would think, before the final decisions get made. Yes. You will know where you are. You know, uh, you know, just track it. Yeah. Another phrase that got repeated in that event was thoughtfully and gradually. They're going to do the integration thoughtfully and gradually. So they are yeah. going to take their time. They're going to think about it. They're going to see what customers want. So this is there's not going to be a, a head-on collision out of the gate. Well, and I just kept hearing like, don't go, don't read, you know, all the things that you would expect him to say. You're of not course. expecting him to say, yeah, we know exactly. Chaos is going to be total chaos. Let's just chaos, see what happens. This is going in the bin. We know already that by the end of next year, this is gone. And right. we're going to do that. You know, they don't know. They don't know. They they, don't know. And they if they did, they're not going to say it anyway. Yeah. No, they're not going to say it. What do you expect him to say? You yeah, know? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's like asking Elon Musk to make a promise on when self-driving will be available. He's going to tell you what you want to hear, yep. right? It's just, <laughs> which is, that's his job, right? That's yes. the job of the CEO is to say the things that like that. And you know that it's an exaggeration or a mistruth or, you know, but that's what they're, they're required to do. That's that's part of the job. Yeah. Um, so let's just touch on uh, geopolitics. We already hinted about it. There's generally the analysts I've seen, low risk of failing the approval. There's not a lot of overlap in the competitive business. There's no exposure to China. Um, so we don't see like the uh, the comp competition authorities in Australia, the UK, Europe, and the US knocking this on the head. It's pretty much a done deal from everybody that I spoke to. Uh, what about uh, the reseller model? Uh, we've seen you know Broadcom start to make waves with resellers. Do you anticipate anything similar here? My assumption would be they want everything to be nice and calm. They're not going to make any big changes out of the gate. You know, I've been negative on resellers for a while. Oh, yeah. But, you know, Antonio Neri was you know, very upfront, <laughs> very quick to reassure analysts that resellers remain a core focus. Uh -huh. But obviously Broadcom doesn't agree. And I, I think that ultimately we will see more vendors go directly to top customers, say top 500, top 250 globally, at least. I think the real secret here is that customers want it. Customers don't want to be dealing with resellers particularly. Some do, but mostly they don't. Most of the customers know as much as resellers or they're hiring their engineers from the resellers who know exactly everything that, you know, they have the same certifications or better certifications than the reseller. Um, the vendors want the profits. So why am I, you know, HP has to give away 10% of the, of the profit margin to some, to a reseller. Right? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Why? Right. At some point, somebody's going to wake up and say, why am I giving away that margin? That's what Broadcom's done. And I don't think anybody cares about what resellers want. <laughs> Does that make sense? If the customers don't want it and the vendors don't want it, yeah, but if you're in the server business, particularly, there's a huge mid-market that you kind of need resellers uh, as an entry into that market because you, you kind of just do. And so I don't see HP walking away from resellers in the way it seems like Broadcom might want to, or Broadcom just wants mm. to focus on the most valuable resellers. I, I think HP is correct yeah. in saying they are going to continue to nurture the reseller market. It's just so much conflict of interest because resellers don't make enough money from professional services. They won't spend on training. They won't retain good staff. And at best, resellers always just look like a wart on the vendor's carcass. You know, <laughs> they find like a niche to exist in. But reseller companies don't last for very long before they eventually, you know, struggle to make profits because there's not enough money in moving stuff from a warehouse to a customer. The margin's really tight. 
even just funding cash flow is incredibly difficult for most resellers. Um, if you want to work in a vertical niche, then there's that's okay. But protecting your niche from some somebody coming in from somewhere else is incredibly difficult. I think increasingly you'll actually and look more like Oracle and SAP for their service model. It'll all be um, HP will be moving into GreenLake. Once HP is delivering all those services via GreenLake, where's the role of a reseller, Drew? I don't, I don't understand what the reseller does here. If if you're saying to HP, I want more capacity, and HP sends out a reseller engineer and they get it wrong because they don't have enough training or they're not retaining the best staff or there's not enough hours in the day or the reseller's not treating their people right, but the HP brand is being damaged. How long do you go on for that for before it wraps up? Right. Uh, I, I guess I feel like you've been negative on resellers for years and they're still around, so. <laughs> not so many of them. They're converging guess... on just a couple of big ones, right? Right. Yeah. I guess yeah. Consolidation. Got, in the US, it's WWT, pretty much. That's about the only one left. You know, the the and the ability of those companies to make money. I'm talking to more and more engineers who work to resellers and they're going like, we're, you know, with VMware turning away, that's a whole bunch of revenue those guys aren't going to get. Do they survive if they're not selling VMware licenses? Right. So it'd be interesting to see what happens with that one. Yeah. I, d I do think that ultimately resellers' relevance is going to have to be redefined somehow. Um, and and I don't know, especially if with subscriptions. If you're doing subscriptions and there's work to be done, it doesn't make sense for vendors not to just do it themselves. You know, mm -hmm. Look at what IBM's doing with Red Hat. How many Red Hat resellers are there out there? Or how many of them are being displaced by IBM saying, well, we own Red Hat, you should buy our professional services. Yep, that's a good argument. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so eventually at some point the resellers just stop being profitable because there's not enough business out there for them. Yeah. And the whole market collapses, I think is my my contention. So let's just do our final takeaways because we've already spent a long time on this and we got a couple other things to cover. So final thoughts on this on this acquisition. Uh financially it's a good deal for HP and Juniper shareholders. HP didn't overpay, but Juniper didn't get overpaid. So <laughs> Juniper shareholders get a fair exit. I think a lot of people have said uh, if you're a shareholder of Juniper, you'd be worrying about where Juniper was going to grow. You'd been interested in Mist and Abstra, and what? But the telco market was declining. Well, now Juniper's part of HPE. They got much wider exposure to the enterprise. I think Juniper can be much more accessible, getting its networking in um, and displacing some Cisco accounts, and that's going to be good overall. Um, I think HPE should get more traction in the 5G telco pop market. There's certainly plenty of room here for the deal to go wrong. There's a lot of water to go under that bridge. If you yes. want to use a metaphor, yep. you know, uh, there are culture clashes between HP. HP tends to have, you know, people who are very stuck in their ways and you've got Aruba, which has got a proud networking heritage. They might fight back against the Juniper people. Right. But, you know, Rami Rahim's coming in at the top. Remember when Aruba came in and said, we're HP bought us, but we're not a, we're not HPE. We're still a Ruby Networks. Remember that? I do remember that. Yes, and I wonder yeah. if there's some of that still, uh, you know, in the in the HPE body. Uh -huh. Yeah, and of course Juniper is going to come in. Potentially, they might end up with a bit of a swagger. <laughs> hey, we're the we're the networking dudes. We're here to tell you how it's done, sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I can see lots of culture clashes, lots of ego clashes. Absolutely. Yeah, and people who've been you know committed to it, taking their jobs way too seriously, could be overdone. So this. There's a culture clash there that's really got to get done and there's going to have to be some really good leadership. Although, you know, um, I think that they've got good leadership at the moment. I think Antonio Neri's done a great job of keeping HP running. Uh, the share price is up 
100% in the last two years, I want to say. It's been mm -hmm. up quite a bit mm -hmm. uh, from memory. And they did really, really well through COVID. So this is really the time for HP to be able to buy something. Um, and this is actually a significant acquisition. It doesn't, whereas, you, so if you look at what Cisco, when it bought Splunk, Drew, the, all of the analysis I've read is like, well, Cisco bought a company that's got really high profit margins, but we don't see where the growth is. And I don't see where Splunk is going to integrate with the business, right? Mm -hmm. It's Splunk is not a obviously an AI company. It's more of a, you know, it's got a great business. It runs 40% net margins, makes money hand over fist. Customers can't get out because they're kind of locked in. Yep. Very Cisco Tyler business. Yep. Um, this is not that. This is, there are definite gaps. This is definitely a growth opportunity for HPE if they can pull it off. Yes. So I'm moderately positive. I'm not bursting with positivity. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I make sense. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. I think we've we've outlined the potential dangers. We've outlined certainly the the business and cultural risks of trying to integrate these two companies. Uh, but I am also moderately positive. I think there are great potential here. I think uh, if Antonio Neri has a clear strategy and Rama Rahim can uh, be smart about how they integrate all of these uh, all of the portfolio overlaps and all of the cultures, then they they could potentially pull it off. The there is growth. Significant growth potential here. The upsides are great. So I, I hope they they do this, as they said, thoughtfully mm. and gradually. So we'll yeah, see. and and the things that they need to do here are well understood. Extremes done it. You know, in sure, they, areas, yes, extremes in it. It has happened. They can look at what Cisco's done with this, you know, its positioning of products and you know the Meraki versus the enterprise. You can run multiple product lines. I think the template, there's nothing new here that they need to achieve. They don't need to create a new business model. Right. They need to make their decisions and execute on them strongly and cleanly. Yeah. And that is a very questionable question. Yeah. <laughs> and just a, a, a shout out to folks at both companies who might be wondering about their jobs and going through some personal stress about uh, where they're going to fit in the new organization or, you know, sympathies because we're talking about big companies merging, but there's also people involved. So just wanted to mention that uh, this could be a tough time for folks. So just uh, we're keeping it in mind and, and we hope everything works out for you. Yeah. Like I've always said, always keep your resume handy. Always have one eye on the door because it's either you choose or they choose. That's and right. You've got to be ready for both situations. Your employer is not your family. Yes. No. As much as they no. tell you they are. <laughs> yeah. Uh, quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Palo Alto Networks. You can see how ZTNA 2.0, Cloud Secure, Gateway, and SD-WAN deliver exceptional security and ROI. 2024 is a year when companies will need to do more with less as businesses grapple with economic uncertainty. It's more critical than ever to consolidate fragmented security and networking solutions in order to reduce operational complexity and costs. Palo Alto Networks has produced a virtual event so you can learn how the latest innovations in SASE can help your organization. You can do things like automate costly and complex IT operations with AI-powered digital experience management. You can connect and secure branch offices and the hybrid workforce with SD-WAN, ZTNA 2.0, and Cloud Secure Web Gateways. And you can unlock better ROI through consolidation of point solutions with Prisma SASE. Go to paloaltonetworks.com slash engage slash sassy-signature-moment or see the show notes in episode 462 for the link. One more time, that's paloaltonetworks.com slash engage slash sassy-signature-moment. All right, uh, two more quick stories before we wrap. Uh, first, Starlink says it has successfully sent and received SMS messages between unmodified phones on Earth using recently launched satellites. Starlink says the DTC or direct-to-text satellites use, quote, new custom silicon, phased array antennas, and advanced software, unquote, to overcome these significant challenges for unmodified phones to communicate with satellites. That includes the need to hand off transmissions among satellites and the low antenna gain and transmit power of cell phones. Uh, Starlink says it used 4G LTE spectrum from T-Mobile with T-Mobile's permission uh, to yeah. Uh, run this test. Yeah, so Starlink has to go around the world, sign up with a, a local telco to get a, a spectrum license. 
So it's not just a case of turning it on. Right. Uh, so in this case, they did a deal with T-Mobile um, in the US. In the US. So they were using only 4G LTE spectrum, so it's not 5G spectrum, which is kind of a thing. Um, I would also note that even though it's tested today, it won't be available until late 2024 or even 2025. Uh, that's not a Musk promise, so there's some confidence that that's actually accurate, <laughs> uh, if you know what I mean. I do. Um, I just want to point out that this is very limited bandwidth. This is text, right? Yes. So all of the satellite stuff that we're seeing, whether it's in low Earth orbit or high Earth orbit or geosynchronous orbit, all the satellite to mobile stuff is currently low bandwidth. And for Starlink, the first thing they're going to do is text, and it'll be. It's not entirely clear whether it'll be able. They'll be able to do voice. They may be able to. So far, the only people who've been able to do voice are using geosynchronous satellites with huge antennas, like basketball pitch-sized antennas in space, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. And that is not something that Starlink can do, but Starlink is closer to the ground. So don't go around thinking that suddenly you're going to be streaming Netflix over your satellite. That is not likely in the foreseeable future to ever be a thing happen. So don't get let your expectations get ahead of yourself here. Right, but it is, I think, a neat capability for an unmodified phone, and it could be useful in emergency situations. And I will note that Apple announced emergency SMS satellite capability on iPhone 14 and iPhone 15 models back in 2023. So we know that handset makers are also interested in this. Uh, so I expect further development. But yeah, it's something that's not going to be available. And it is definitely not for streaming video on your phone from space. Yes. And it also means that, you know, Starlink has to launch a whole, like another two and a half thousand satellites. Yep. To support this, right? Yes. yes. This isn't, oh, oh, it's ready to go. Turn it on. No, no. This is this is a massive, you've got to launch all those satellites into space with the new features enabled. This isn't going to come out in a hurry and it will only come out country by country. And I think it'll come out obviously in the US first. Yes. So. All right. Our last story is a surfing dog story about a Bitcoin PR stunt to try to get Bitcoin on the moon. <laughs> I thought you'd like this. I think oh, I'd I love this it. one for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> there is, of course, a meme around uh, cryptocurrencies, around uh, going everybody's to the got a cryptocurrency. Yes. They're all going to the moon. Uh -huh. uh, somebody is a bit of a marketing exercise. I won't even mention their name because it's obviously such an idiot move. Uh, they loaded a piece of metal engraved with a private key to a crypto wallet, and they are sending it to the moon. And the idea was that at some point in the future, people could go and collect it, and they would be able to have be the proud owners of a, of a Bitcoin, Drew. One Bitcoin, yes. Yes, but no matter how hard I try, I still can't see why I would buy a cryptocurrency. Um, there are use cases for Bitcoin, particularly for money laundering and for transferring value offshore to get around government restrictions. And of course, just for sheer speculation, mm -hmm. but I would prefer to buy my company stocks. I'd buy a stock in, um, I don't know, Juniper as a speculation, because uh, that's a much better gamble in my opinion than any cryptocurrency. Uh, but what I do laugh about is they tried to get to the moon and they didn't make it, which I think is a very accurate metaphor for <laughs> cryptocurrencies. I, I guess they had put this on an actual uh, moon lander that was supposed to get to the moon, but there was uh, some kind of leak or something. So the lander is not on the moon and the, whoever launched this lander isn't really sure where it is anyway. Uh, so yeah, that that is a good metaphor for crypto. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, whoever engraved the private key probably has it. So maybe not quite the stunt. You know, right. I just wonder how they kept the privacy. Like, does nobody have that private key recorded somewhere? Right. That just seems a bit, do you know what I mean? Like, I know yeah. what you mean. The issues okay. all around. <laughs> issues all around. All right. Well, we went long again. Apologies. We just had a lot to talk about, um, but we promised to be shorter next week. Uh, we don't have a Tech Bytes here. So if you're, you're done, you, you can walk away. Uh, Greg, where can folks get more from you if they're interested in hearing from you online? 
Uh, you can find me, of course, on Packet Pushes. I'm on Twitter at Ethereum. I also did some stuff on, uh, got some early thoughts out on LinkedIn. Uh, so I'll be hanging around LinkedIn for the next week or so. Yeah. Don't know if I'll be there for much longer, but there you go. We'll see how it works out. I'm Drew Conner Murray. I'm a blue sky at Drew CM. I'm blogging at packetpushes.net. And also put my stuff on LinkedIn if you want to connect there. We'd love to see you. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Palo Alto Networks. And of course, thanks to you for joining us for another long episode of Network Break. If you like the show, please leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or recommend it to a friend. Thanks for listening.